0: We're in a series called When We Were Kings, where we've been walking through the book of 1 Kings. We're in 1 Kings chapter 19 today, and we've been walking kind of strategically through the book of 1 Kings. If you want to turn there, uh, you can turn there. And today we're going to talk about one of our core values, which is this idea of passing the cloak. Uh, And when we talk about passing the cloak, it comes right out of these passages, comes right out of the life of Elijah. Uh, And what we're talking about is disciple making. What we're talking about is entrusting ownership to the next generation. What we're talking about is believing in who is next. So we create what's next for who's next. And it's this idea of we are continually working to create a culture where the next generation is discipled, where the next generation is invested in, and where the next generation actually has a space to live out the mission that God has called them to on their, in their lives. So we are awakening the kingdom dreams of the next generation, but we're also giving them a place to pursue those kingdom dreams. Um, the, it, around grace, what happens oftentimes is we throw young leaders into the deep end and kind of see what happens. Uh, it's a little bit of what discipleship is like. We're, we're, we're giving opportunities for people who aren't ready. And I'm so grateful that there were people who gave me opportunities before I was ready. Uh, I was 14 years old when I was asked to teach the junior high Sunday school uh, at, my, at my church. Uh, I, I, I was not ready to teach a junior high Sunday school. I was barely not a junior higher myself, uh, but I started teaching a junior high Sunday school way before I was ready to ever teach anything. I, don't, I can't imagine what I taught those days. I, don't, I have no idea what those days looked like. I taught my first sermon when I was 16 years old. My church invited me. It was Youth Sunday, right? They did Youth Sunday, and they invited me to come and preach, and I was 16. I did a 12-minute sermon. Uh, it, it involved my dog peeing, and it was, there was a, I'm sure there was some heresy in there, uh, it, but my parents were really proud, and the church celebrated it, and, and I'm not talking about a tiny little country church. It was a big church. like a 2,000-person church. It was like, hey, we want the 16-year-old to preach. It was the dumbest decision ever. Uh, I, I remember my first night as a youth pastor. I, I got hired at a church where I went. I went off to college in Anderson, Indiana, Anderson University, and I, I got hired as a youth pastor at the church there right away. So I, as soon as I got there to school, I started interviewing for jobs. I got hired as the youth pastor. I remember my first night. There were two hundred junior high kids running all over the place, and something just hit me. I'm in charge of these kids. I was like 19 years old. I was in charge of all of these junior high kids, and I started trying to figure out how to be a youth pastor and how to do pastoral care and how to do discipleship and how to teach and how to get junior high kids to listen to anything, and I ate more pizza than any human being had ever eaten in a five-year span in my kind of youth pastor days. I can remember my first wedding that I ever did. I was like 21. Somebody asked me to do their wedding, and they came to me, and here's what they said. We don't want any music, We don't want any sermon. We don't want anything fun at all. There are no, they're like, there's no, nobody's going to come up and do a reading. There's no, we just want the vows. That's it. So the wedding lasted eight minutes. And then the father of the bride yelled at me for an hour. That's what happened. I was like, I just did what they asked me to do. They didn't want all the other stuff. He was like, why was it so short? Because that's what they wanted. Uh, it was the worst wedding ever. It was an eight-minute wedding. Everybody was frustrated. I, I feel bad for that couple that has to go back and like watch that. Like They've got the video of their wedding, and it's just this kid who's stumbling through some vows. I remember my first funeral. I was like 27 years old. Somebody asked me to do their funeral, and, and I remember standing in front of the first group that I did, stood in front of, and And having this opportunity to to share the gospel with people that were hurting and and a family that had lost a loved one. I remember my first time going to the hospital and being on a pastoral care call at the hospital for someone who had lost a loved one. I was like 20 years old and was sent to the hospital and this woman was there and she had just lost her daughter. And I had no idea what to say to her. Uh, I look back on all of those things and at the time, none of those things felt like a gift. (laughs) But as I look back, I recognize that all of them were. I recognize that there were people who made space. For me to be discipled, who created space to pass the cloak onto me so that I could become the person that I am today. In those moments, I discovered that I was called to ministry. In those moments, I discovered who, how God worked in my life. In those moments, I was thrown in the deep end, and I was invited to spaces that I wasn't prepared for, that I wasn't ready for, where I had to learn a dependence and a trust on the Holy Spirit. And I'm so grateful that I grew up as part of churches that cared more about succession than success. And at Grace, we're striving to be that same kind of church. So I ask you, who was it that passed their faith onto you? Who was it that threw you in the deep end? Who was it that poured into you and invested in you over time? Who was it that opened the word of God with you? Who was it that prayed with you? Who is it that, that anointed you and, and, and called out the good things in you? Who were those people that invested in you? My parents discipled me from the day that I was born. My grandparents, all of my grandparents, walk with Jesus, and 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 they 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 loved me and cared for me, and and I can remember being at, at, at family gatherings like Thanksgiving where we would all gather and we'd sing worship songs and we'd pray, and and it, it was this whole kind of family thing where the whole it takes a village, right? Especially when you got somebody as dumb as me that's got to uh, grow into all this stuff, and so all of these people pouring into me. I've I've talked a lot about my Sunday school teacher when I was a little kid, Terry Paulman, a guy that invested in my life and cared for me, and walked beside me and taught me the word, Um, but here's what we see in 1 Kings chapter 19. We see this crazy juxtaposition, And, and in scripture, one of the things that you're taught in Bible college is to pay attention to what stories are set side by side. If they're set side by side, there's usually a reason that they're set side by side. And so what we have over the past couple of weeks, we, we talked about Mount Carmel, we talked about Elijah on the mountain versus all the prophets of Baal, all the prophets of Asherah, there's uh, 850 prophets versus the one, uh, amazing moment, Elijah has prayed that rain would stop and said, rain will only come again when I pray again, he prays. Fire comes down on the altar that's already been soaked. Amazing things happen. The rain comes. There's this incredible breakthrough. It's this incredible God-sized moment, right? It's this moment where you say only God could do that. There's this amazing mountaintop experience on the mountain. And that story is juxtaposed. It's set right next to another mountain. So the first mountain is Mount Carmel. The second mountain is Mount Horeb. And on Mount Horeb, Elijah says, I want to die, I'm done. I'm I'm tired of all this, I'm exhausted, I'm worn out, I'm frustrated, I'm irritated, I've done everything, I've been faithful, I've been zealous for you, I've tried to walk in the ways that you've invited me to. It's been challenging, it's been hard, and he goes into the wilderness, he goes up to to, to Mount Horeb, and on Mount Horeb he hears the still small whisper of God. And that still small whisper of God invites him, it invites him to go and to make disciples. The, it, it, there's these two contrasting mountains. There's Carmel, where there is this powerful God that shows up in power and in strength. There's this amazing moment where God reveals himself in great breakthrough. There's this miraculous moment, and all of us want those moments in our life. We all want those Mount Carmel moments where it's those only God moments. Only God could have done this. Only God could have broken through. We've had some of those moments as a church. We've had some of those moments in our individual life, but sitting right next to that story of God breaking through in the miraculous is a story of kind of the mundane, It's the slow, the steady, the quiet, the listening, the hearing, the still small whisper of God and an invitation not to do something great, right? Imagine if you're Elijah in this moment. The first invitation was, you're gonna pray, Elijah, you powerful prophet of God. You're gonna pray and it's not gonna rain. And then when I tell you, you're gonna pray again. You're gonna soak the altar with water. Fire's gonna come down and rain's gonna come down and you're gonna do all this miraculous, amazing, incredible, God-sized, brilliant things, That's the first invitation that God invites Elijah to. That's a cool invitation, right? If you get that invitation for God, step into it, right? We're all ready for that. We're ready for authority. We're ready for power. We're ready for strength. We're ready for all those things. But the second invitation is an invitation to the mundane. We're going to invite you, Elijah, to go and anoint some people. We're going to invite you to go spend some time investing in other leaders. I'm going to invite you to listen to my still, small voice. First Kings chapter 19, verse 15, it says, And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you will anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, Abdu'l-Melo, you shall anoint him to be a prophet in your place. And the one that escapes from the sword of Haziel, shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu, shall Elijah put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every net mouth that has not kissed him. Now remember, Elijah just told God, I'm all alone. I'm the only one left. I'm frustrated. God is saying, no, Elijah, you're actually not. There's 7,000. There are plenty of people, and there's these leaders that I want you to invest in. But I wonder, if you're Elijah in that moment, are you frustrated because the invitation is insignificant? I wonder if in that moment, if you're Elijah, you're saying to God, really, this is what you want me to do? You want me to find some guys, and you want me to put some anointing oil on them? In that time... Uh, anointing was a frequent thing that happened. It happened both in rituals, um, kind of inaugurations. So anytime a king would become king, they were anointed with oil, which means this fragrant kind of perfume-like oil was poured over their head. It was this sign of favor. It was this sign of blessing. It was this sign of an overflowing God who is pouring out over this leader. So that happened in inaugurational settings. So anytime a king became king, they were anointed by a prophet. Um, it also happened in everyday moments. It was this ordinary occurrence at times, where if you would enter into somebody's home and that person was the host of the home, sometimes what you would do is you, the, the host would anoint you with oil. It was a sign of love. It was a sign of affection. It was a sign of invitation. And so when people would enter into your home for a, for a dinner party on, in non-COVID times, right, you would anoint them with oil. You would kind of pour oil over them to bless them. It was an expensive gift. It was an extravagant gift. And it's a symbol. It's a symbol of pouring yourself out in the service of somebody else. I'm going to pour this oil over you because I want to serve you. I'm going to stand with you. It's a picture of discipleship is what it is. And if Elijah is anything like me, he says to God, you want me to do what? I, I was just the guy that prayed for not, for not the rain to happen. I was the guy that soaked the altar. Remember I prayed and you brought the fire and, and all the prophets of Baal, like, could we go fight another god right now? Could we do that? Could we do another, like, God battle? And could I be a part of that? Could we do something? Since you did fire and rain last time, could we do, like, lasers and space this time? Like, is there something bigger and better that we could do this time? Could we wow the crowds again? Like, maybe we gather those 7,000, and we, we start a tent revival up on Mount Carmel, and we plant a church there, and I preach every week, and we get some people gathering. We can get this thing going. We can get people saved. We can do some amazing things. I'll do the lasers, and you, you know, I'll do some prayers and you'd show up and like let's do all of that stuff God but he says I want you to go and I want you to invest in these young leaders I want you to pour yourself out both ritually and practically for these people you see Mount Carmel is amazing Mount Carmel is the place where God seems so real and so powerful, and our fears are mended, and our wounds are fixed, and we have all authority, and miracles happen, and mountaintop moments happen, but Mount Horeb is sometimes the place where we grow the most. Mount Horeb is the place where we take the small, the mundane, the steady, the steadfast, the the ongoing work of God. God. The ongoing work of discipleship. And and here's the reality for us. Our faith is lived on each of these mountains. Our faith is lived on Mount Carmel where there are moments where it feels like the authority and the power of God has shown up and incredible things are happening. And then we live on Mount Horeb where we walk steady and steadfast. Where we just do the work that God's invited us to do today. Even when it doesn't feel exciting. Or doesn't feel amazing. Or doesn't feel incredible. When I was a youth pastor, uh, uh, early on in my ministry, we did a, a, a retreat. We would go on these fall retreats, and we'd find a camp somewhere, and we'd rent out the camp for the weekend, and we'd take hundreds of kids down to this camp and do this thing. We went and did this camp one weekend, and it was amazing. Like, it was really hard. It's hard to get through to junior high kids, right? Can we all agree on that? Like I, I, I've said this many times. The people that work with the junior high youth in our, in our church are the greatest of all of us, right, they they are the most loved, they are the most caring, they're the, like, they, it's just, the, a, a junior high girl is the meanest mammal on the planet, like, there is no one meaner than, than them, uh, and, and so it's hard to break through, and so I was trying so hard to get some breakthrough, and, and we had this moment on Saturday night, right, it's the moment at the end of camp, where you kind of do the kumbaya kind of thing, and you, you stir up the emotions a little bit, the band starts playing a little longer, and 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 we had this moment, and all of a sudden, breakthrough started to happen, and all of these kids started coming forward and getting baptized. We baptized like thirty-five kids that weekend. Like it was just incredible. All these kids coming to know Jesus for the first time, and it was like, it was like Mount Carmel. It was this beautiful, amazing moment where everything was going right and everything was incredible. Uh, and then we we arrived back at church on Sunday afternoon, and we were a half hour late. And as I got out of the car, one of the parents just berated me forever, like just so angry that we were a half hour late. And then that week, I got like five emails from parents that were upset because we had a pillow fight and a kid got a bloody nose. And then I got another set of emails from somebody that was upset because we watched an episode of The Simpsons, which as you know, is evil in the eyes of God, right? And so there were all of these like angry things and I'm I'm just remember sitting there saying, I like can we go back to Saturday night? I don't want Sunday. I don't want the driving. I don't want the emails from parents. I don't want to deal with all this other stuff. I just want the moment where God is active and present. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. I just want to be in church. I just want to be in the house of God. I just want to have that Holy Spirit tingly feeling coming all over me. I just want to feel your presence. I just want to be with you. I don't want to do all the other stuff. I don't want to wake up at 7 a.m. and open the word of God. I don't want to walk obediently and faithfully in the places that I don't want to walk in. I don't want to disciple others and invest in the next generation. I don't want to serve and bless and care for others. I just want you to show up in a really big way in my life. We all have these moments. You notice that we've never sing songs about Horeb. We only sing songs about Mount Carmel. We don't sing songs about everyday obedience. We don't sing songs about the quiet whisper, the, 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 the everyday pushing and striving and working. We sing songs about the God moments, the victories, the wins, the powerful God that shows up and does amazing things. We sing about the breakthrough, but we don't sing about steady faithfulness and walking in that because it's not as fun. It's not in the testimonies. It's not in the stories that we tell. And the truth is, I've seen God in my life on Mount Carmel. I've seen sick people that are healed, and I can't explain it. I've seen dramatic salvation come to people that I never thought salvation would come to. I've seen dramatic God moments where you can just feel the presence of the Lord in a room, and it's thick. I've been on Mount Carmel, and it's beautiful, and it's lovely, and I want to stay there. And those moments have shaped my faith, but I've also seen God on Mount Horeb in beautiful ways, in the still, small, quiet, steadfast obedience where people who I discipled for years and had breakfast with over and over again and opened the Bible with over and over again and had meals with in my home over and over and over again, I see them come to life in their faith in Christ. I've seen small obedience in my life that has led to breakthrough where it felt like nothing at the time, where it felt small and insignificant, where I was just walking in the places where God had called me to, and they weren't amazing things, they weren't incredible things, they were just still small things, but I saw breakthrough in my life because of it. And, and I couldn't see breakthrough in a month, and I couldn't see breakthrough in six months, but after two years, after three years, after 10 years, I started to see transformation of my own heart. I started to see me becoming something new and me becoming something different. I saw my faith that grew over the years. The most important thing about our lives is not what we do, it's who we become. And who we become is rooted in Mount Horeb. It's rooted in those small, still, steady, quiet, obedient moments. Mount Horeb is like parenting, isn't it? It's like parenting. No no one knows if they're doing it right, right? Right? You never know if you're parenting right. You're just doing the best that you can. No one feels like they're an expert at it. And if they do, they're lying. And, and we just keep walking around and praying and hoping that it's going to turn out okay. We just keep hoping that our kids are not going to be tyrants or something when they grow up, right? We're just praying that, that there'll be some breakthrough in their lives. We're just hoping that when they go off to college that something that we gave them sticks, that they remember something and it sticks with them. This is what happens, When we train pastors at Gravity Leadership, we use the the metaphor of pastoring is like gardening more than engineering. Because what happens oftentimes is we think that if we could just make the pieces fit, then everything's going to work. So if I could just create the right environment if I could just create the right moment, if I could just engineer this mountaintop experience. I, and, and so what we do is we spend all our time trying to engineer Mount Carmel rather than trying to garden on Mount Horeb. Because gardening is awful. I don't, when, when people tell me they like gardening, I never understand what they're talking about. Because in my garden, like, as the moment I'm done with something, there's more weeds. Anybody with me? Like the moment I finish pulling the weeds, I go out, it's like I finish on Saturday, I go outside on Wednesday and they're there again. It's awful, it's hard work, it's, it's frustrating, it's irritating, my, my kids have been on leaf duty this weekend and they've been raking leaves all throughout our yard and, and we've, got this, we've got all these mature trees at our house and, and they just flood down all over our backyard and, and last weekend they raked leaves and cleaned everything up and I was like hey, we need you to go out and do leaves, I said this on Friday. And they were like, no, we did that last week. And I was like, no, the problem is there's more leaves. Like, they keep falling. They keep coming down. Everything you did last week is now covered with leaves. And they walked outside, and they were like, oh, come on, right? This is, the gardening is frustrating. You have to embrace the blisters and just keep going with it. But so often, what we try and do is we just keep trying to re-engineer Mount Carmel rather than living on Mount Horeb. So many of us, we had this Mount Carmel experience in our life. This moment where we came to know Jesus. This moment where we felt the presence of God. This moment where God moved in our lives in a mighty and a powerful and an incredible way. And rather than walking in obedience from that place, we're just trying to engineer another Mount Carmel in my life. I worry about this with student ministry. I had kids when when I was a youth pastor who had come to me and be like, I can't wait for camp this year because at camp, that's when the good stuff happens, right? It was the same kid that got saved every year at camp, right? It was the same kid that every year at camp had like this big confession of sin and this big breakthrough. They were waiting for the mountaintop experience, but nobody was teaching them how to walk in the everyday life and in the moment. Here's the reality. Both mountains require both faith and action. Carmel requires a faith that believes that God can do anything. A trust that if I I soak the altar, he's going to show up. And so we want to have a soak the altar kind of faith here at Grace Marietta. We want to live with a holy expectation that God is big, that God answers our prayers, that God's promises are true, and that there are moments when breakthrough and victory happen just like that. But We also want to have a faith in Mount Horeb. We want to have a faith that in the still, small, steady, steadfast love, it's not big and it's not flashy, but when we walk in obedience, something happens over time where we are shaped and the people around us are shaped. And sometimes we don't have faith for Mount Carmel. We don't have faith that the big giant thing can happen, but sometimes we don't have faith in Mount Horeb. It feels like just another drop in the bucket. It feels like it's insignificant. It feels like the work I'm doing isn't getting breakthrough. It feels like I'm preaching to a service with five people out there. That one hit a little close to home today. Sometimes trusting God on Mount Horeb is much harder than trusting him on Carmel. And for Elijah, it might have been easier for him to believe that he could stop the rain than to believe that he could pass the cloak. Because God is the one that stops the rain. God is the one that brings the fire. And so when we put our faith in those Mount Carmel moments, it's like God's gonna do something. I'm completely trusting him. But for some reason, when we walk in discipleship, we believe it all depends on us. It's as if God only works in the sanctuary on Sunday mornings, but he doesn't work in the coffee shop when we're opening the Bible. He doesn't work in the family devotional times where we're praying together. He doesn't work in the still, small, obedient moments. We believe in God for the big things, but we fail to believe in him for the little things. Zechariah 4.10 says this, one of my favorite passages. It says, do not despise the days of small beginning, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Don't despise the small things. Don't despise the little things. Don't keep chasing the big things so much that you're missing the small things that God is doing in your life. I feel like 2020 has brought a crisis of all of this to pastors and congregants around the country. Can I be honest that when people started saying the church was closed, I would get mad. I would get angry when people were like, oh, well, the church is closed right now. No, the church isn't closed. We're just not gathering in person. We spent like 16 weeks where we didn't gather in person or three months or I don't remember the timeline. Whatever amount of time, we spent this time where we didn't gather in person, but that didn't mean the church was closed. It just meant Mount Carmel was shut down for a minute but we don't have an imagination for the church that exists outside of Mount Carmel. We don't have an imagination for the church that exists outside of this holy moment where we all gather together and something, fire happens and incredible things happen. We need a faith that says, the church is Mount Carmel and it's Mount Horeb. It doesn't matter if we never gathered again, again on a Sunday morning, we can and still will be the church. If we spend all of our existence trying to re-engineer Mount Carmel each week, we miss something huge. My friend Dave was consulting with the church recently, and, and they were telling them how much time they spent on their Sunday morning gathering. And it was a huge church. There was a staff of like 70 people in the room. And he said to them, how many, how much of your time collectively is put towards Sunday morning Church. And they said, 95% of our staff's time and energy is put towards Sunday morning. It's put towards Mount Carmel. It's put towards the worship service. And he looked at them and he said, you're not a church. You're a production company. You've stopped doing still small things. You've stopped making disciples. You've stopped walking in faith. You've stopped small obedience. You've stopped coffee house Bible times. You've stopped praying with one another. you stopped visiting the hospital. you stopped doing all of these things and you focused all your energy on re-engineering Mount Carmel. Here's the last thing I want to say today is every one of us is called to pass the cloak. This is not just a command for Elijah. It's not just a command for the prophets. It's a command for all of us. Verse 19 it says, so Elijah departed from there and let's not take that as insignificant. Sometimes this Small, steady, just I'm gonna continue to walk in faith are the most significant moments in the story. Because if Elijah refuses to go to Elisha right here and just says, I'm going back to Mount Carmel, the story doesn't take place the way that it does. Nothing plays out the way that it plays out in the story here. He departed from where he was and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and he put his cloak around him. This is the same cloak that Elijah hid his face in when the presence of God passed by. And He's saying, I'm passing this on to you. I'm passing the mantle of leadership onto you. I'm passing the power and the presence of God that I've experienced onto you. I'm teaching you how to live on both Mount Carmel and Mount Horeb and I'm going to journey with you but rather than building discipleship cultures, oftentimes what we do is we build consumer cultures. Rather than teaching people to walk on Mount Horeb, we try and re-engineer another Mount Carmel. Dallas Willard said this, he said, the great omission of the church is that we've taught people that they can follow Jesus without making disciples. He went on to say this, the greatest issue facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking needs is whether those who, by profession or by culture, are identified as Christians will actually become Disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ. Steadily learning from him how to live in the kingdom of heaven in every corner of human existence. Here's what Willard's saying. Here's what this passage is saying. Here's what Elijah's teaching us today. We cannot just pursue Mount Carmel without pursuing Mount Horeb. We've got to walk in the power and the authority in these moments where sometimes God chooses to break through in a second and amazing things happen. We also have to embrace the fact that sometimes we walk by faith for years. Sometimes we pray for decades. Sometimes we keep doing the right thing even when nobody sees it or nobody notices it. Sometimes we keep investing in that young person who doesn't even recognize that you're investing in them. Sometimes we keep pouring in to the people that don't even want it and don't even thank you for it. Sometimes we just keep faithfully leading and walking and trusting and believing and believing that when we walk by faith, God does something. And so I don't know where you find yourself today. Maybe you're finding yourself in a season of Mount Carmel. I don't know. There's not a lot of people that are experiencing that right now, but maybe you are. And breakthroughs happening and victories all around you and amazing things are going on. God bless you and stay there until God sends you to the next mountain. But I think for most of us, we're in this space right now where we're just kind of confused about, God, what are we supposed to do next? The world's been shut down in some ways. And my world's been thrown upside down a little bit. And I'm not quite sure what everything looks like. What do I do? Maybe the call of us in this moment is the same call of Elijah. Pass the cloak. Who's the person that you need to pass the cloak to? Who's the person in your life right now that is your Elisha? The person that God is saying, invest here. Invest in that person. Pour yourself out to that person. Anoint this person. Give them everything that you have in this moment and care for them. Because every person has this innate desire to want to be invested in. Every person I talk to who lives in the church is saying to me, who will pour into me? Who will invest in me? Who will care for me? Who will walk beside me? Who will be my brother? Who will be my sister? Who will be my spiritual father? Who will be my spiritual mother? Who will do all of those things? And it's as if we don't want to do those things because we're so busy over here doing these things. Who's that person that you're called to pass the cloak to? And maybe... It's not just that you need to pass the cloak to somebody else, it's that you want the cloak passed to you. Maybe you're in a season in your life where you're saying, I need to be discipled right now. I need somebody to pour into me. I need somebody to invest in me. We have opportunities for those things to happen. In January, we're going to start some really exciting new initiatives at the church that involve us getting outside of the building and us discipling people into mission. It's gonna be small groups of people working together to get outside of the church, not here in the building, not out at the pavilion, but out in the world every day doing discipleship into mission, stepping in to really, really good things. And we're really excited to announce some of that stuff at the beginning of the year. Uh, I'm starting a men's discipleship breakfast on Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. If there's anybody that's interested in joining us for that, just let me know. You can email me at ben at gfc tv to get connected to that and I would love to invite anybody to join us for that uh, as as we start doing that if you're interested in making disciples or if you're interested in becoming a disciple come and see us come see me come see Douglas come see Melissa come see Tyler come see any of us and just say hey how do I get connected to this what does this look like for me now because we want to become a community It's not just committed to the Mount Carmel moments where the altar is soaked and the rain comes and the fire falls. We want to be committed to the still, small whisper of God. We want to be committed to the faithful, steadfast walking in faith. So let's pray into that. Heavenly Father, I pray that today you would reveal to us who we're called to pass the cloak to. I pray that today you would teach us to walk in a steadfast, obedient way that you would teach us to walk in obedience day after day when it doesn't seem exciting, when it doesn't feel like breakthrough is happening, when it feels hard and challenging and difficult. I pray that you would teach us to keep going and to keep pursuing you. And I pray that your still small whisper would echo through our lives in such a way that we become the type of people who actually have something to pass on to the next generation. I pray that you would create in us a deep well and a deep knowledge of you and a deep longing for you and a deep affection for you that overflows into every area of our life and that people want to see and experience. And so make us deep people, Father. Give us a gravitas to carry with us. Guide us and direct us with your Holy Spirit. Teach us, Lord, to not despise the small things, but to walk every day in Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Spirit.